Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hello again, Cove Church. Great to be with you today as we continue our series called Treasure. Today, speaking about the fact that God treasures mercy. Um, I'm really glad God treasures mercy. If anyone has ever had an older brother, you might right away see the value of this particular treasure. Perhaps you found yourself with your arms pinned down to the floor, his knees on your arms, and that pendulum of saliva hanging over your head while he awaits you to say one particular word. Mercy. That was the out. And on the occasions that it actually worked in time, I was grateful that although he could have done it, mercy stayed his hand, or at least stayed his spittle at that moment. Mercy is an amazing treasure. Mercy is defined this way. Compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. Mercy says, although I deserve it, and you have the power to make me pay, you choose not to. So today we're going to discover what it looks like to love mercy. And in loving mercy, we're going to realize what that does to change me. And there is no more powerful and I would say difficult teaching on loving mercy than the call of Jesus to love our enemies. It's powerful because it shows us how otherworldly God's love is, how foreign God's love is, how much greater God's love is. But it's difficult because it reveals how hard it is for us to love like that. Yet if we follow Jesus, we will follow Jesus into loving our enemies. We will follow Jesus into mercy because that's who he is. So today we discovered that this incredible invitation from Christ reveals the treasure of mercy. And the first thing I would point out is this. When I love mercy, I reflect God's image. We're going to be in Matthew 5, verses 43. It's where we start. Let's read it together right where you are. Big voices go. You've heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Those are arresting, jarring words. Love your neighbor. Pray for those who are persecuting you. I don't know about you, but I found this passage far easier to read and to sort of agree with before I lived long enough to have some enemies and to have some folks who would want to persecute me. This passage becomes real when those things become real in our life. And that's when it becomes difficult. Everybody knows, right, that that you, you, you love your neighbors and you hate your enemies. That's just common sense. That's how the world works. And Jesus here turns it over. Love those who hate you. Pray for those who want to make your life miserable. And, and you might ask the question, well, what, what does that mean? How, how can that possibly help my life? Well, because the, bas- the basic assumption for us in life 
is that if someone hates us, we have a tendency to hate them back, right? <laughs> That's humanity 101. We certainly do not desire their blessing. We don't desire their good, especially if they hurt us in a very real way. I remember working at a call center and uh, when people would, would call and be irate over the phones and say, I wanna cancel, they would send them to my department. They would send them to me. And I remember, I only worked there for about a year, but there's still a couple of calls. And you take 100 calls a day, a lot, lots of calls, but I, I still remember just like two that really stuck out in terms of, of how, how mean they were, how personal they got. I, I, can, I, I can remember one saying, how can you be so stupid? I remember another one telling me, why don't you find a job you're actually good at? I'm here to tell you that my response in that moment was not, how can I bless you? Oh, how can I credit your bill? Maybe we could send you some chocolates with the company's name on them. No, no, that was not how I felt in that moment. I was searching for codes as like, how can I melt their phone where they are? That's, that's what I was looking for. And that's the response in my heart that God is trying to address here. Now, in saying that, I want to acknowledge the complexities around this subject because loving our enemies must still be done in a healthy way. In the previous passage to this one, Jesus tells us that if someone slaps your left cheek, offer them the right one as well. He says, if, if someone sues you for your shirt, give them your coat on top of it. And at times, Here's the unhealthy part. Those passages have been twisted to make room for spiritual abuse, for, for, for relational abuse, where a person says, because, because of this passage, I'm allowed to treat you horribly and you have to let me. Or the truth of this passage shows us just the opposite. It tells us that the unhealth of your action does not lead me to have to act in the same way. Your behavior does not dictate mine. See, often we are tempted to react to the actions of a person instead of responding to the heart of God. And Jesus is inviting us to now operate from a different place. I don't have to react as another thinks I should. I can instead respond as God knows I should. And that's this response as a son or daughter of God. And that's what allows me to respond in health to any circumstance. Don't forget, Jesus was operating in the same amount of love when he turned over the tables as he was when he healed a man born blind. It was all his love. It was all love. One expression said no, the other said yes. The same can be true for us. Because love has boundaries. And the great news for us as we follow Jesus is that the actions of another person do not have to determine my actions. Jesus gets to determine that. Jesus gets to guide us. Now, that being the case, there will be times when in that guidance, Jesus calls us to respond in a love that is very different from this world's and a love that is very difficult for us. For some, it's difficult to say no. And Jesus is going to say, I'm going to have you respond with boundaries. For others, it's difficult for you to say yes. And Jesus says, I'm going to have you respond with trusting another in a new way. 
But for all who follow Jesus, there will be times that we are invited to a love that flies in the face of everything we want to do. And it's there that my ability to show love will have little to do with who I am and much to do with whose I am. Passage says, love your enemy so you, you may become sons, and I would imply daughters of the Father, whose I am. I've said this before, but it's so important. We want to verify our relationship with God through a theology test. God says you verify it through a paternity test. Is God my Father? <laughs> Do I look and act like God? That's how I verify the relationship. That's how I know whose I am. And if I'm God's, I'll love my enemies. When I love mercy, I reflect God's image. That's the first thing. Here's the second. When I love mercy, I embrace God's actions. Let's continue the passage. Big voices go. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Jesus is saying your love must move beyond the status quo. It must supersede your culture. In fact, what we often label as actions of great love, often they really aren't that great. <laughs> I mean, really, how hard is it when someone is nice to us and they're fun and they give us presents and they're thoughtful and they're supportive? How hard is it for us to say, oh man, I love you? That's kind of a no-brainer, right? It's like in our house, if I ever have cheese, if I'm eating cheese, my dog loves me. If I'm eating cheese, I sit there, Swagger will just be there, just with his eyes right on me. Like, oh man, I love you. But he's looking between me and the cheese. It's really a love for cheese, but he's like, man, you got cheese, so I want to be by you. Of course he loves me in that moment. For him, cheese equals love. And I guess it's the same for me, ultimately. I, I think that's probably true. Cheese equals love for me as well. But the question is this, does he love me when I'm cutting his hair? or when I'm giving him a bath, or, or having to trim his nails, things like that, things he maybe doesn't enjoy. That's, that's a higher love. See, the first kind of love, it, it doesn't require a miracle. It doesn't really require God, yet God calls us to a love that is greater. Here Jesus describes a great love, showing us this truth. One of the most profound ways love is expressed is when it's pointed at those who don't deserve it. I would argue that that is the only kind of love that gets the attention of the world because our world already experiences the other kind of love all the time. Our world experiences transactional, conditional love all the time. We call it genuine love, right? We say, well, as long as you play by the rules of my dysfunction, then you can experience my love. And we say that's genuine love. A lot of what we call love is based around that. Yet just because the word love is used, it doesn't mean it's real love. And Jesus says, 
If you're going to walk in a pure expression of love, then it will include pointing that love at your enemy. That is the action of mercy. For love to truly be love, it means it is not earned, it is given, and loving your enemy has a chance to put that on display. There's a a true story based around the time frame of the dawn of our nation when George Washington was president. There was a, a traitor, a collaborator, with Britain uh, known as Michael Whitman. He was captured, he was tried, he was found guilty, and he was sentenced to death. On the evening before the execution, this old man with white hair shows up at George Washington's office and he asked to see President Washington. He gave his name as uh, Peter Miller. He was a pastor and he was a longtime friend of George Washington. And so he was ushered in without delay. Miller had done a great many favors for the army throughout the years. And so now he had a favor to ask of Washington. He said to him, I've come to seek the pardon of Michael Whitman, the one that has been uh, tried and convicted of treason. Washington was taken aback. He said, that's impossible. Whitman has done all in his power to betray us, even, even offering to join the British army to do us harm. He said, in these times, we, we cannot be lenient with traitors. He said, I'm sorry, but I, I cannot pardon your friend. And the old man replied, friend, <laughs> friend? He is no friend of mine. In fact, he is my bitterest enemy. He has persecuted me for years. He has even beaten me and spit in my face, knowing full well that I would not strike him back. Michael Whitman is not a friend of mine. Washington was puzzled. And you still wish me to pardon him? He said, yes. I ask you, as a great personal favor to me. And Washington said, why? He said, and the man's response was this, I ask because Jesus did as much for me. Stunned, Washington turned away, walked into the next room and returned with a paper upon it written, the pardon of Michael Whitman. Handing it to his friend, he said, thank you for giving me an example of what it means to follow Christ. See, this kind of love, it changes things. Because it's so foreign to us, it's so rare. We, we, we do not tend to walk in mercy. And, and I think there's something I long to see in, in my life as a Christ follower and as a person who often finds themselves walking through the messy places of life with people, whether it's, it's, it's going through wills after, after someone had died or, or divorces or parenting struggles or marriage challenges. Throughout all those, those moments of life, I'm always looking for someone to take the high road to offer mercy, for someone to, to lay down the sword instead of defend themselves, to move past a love that serves themselves and at least ask the question, what does the love of Jesus look like right here? 
And could I, in this moment, show love to someone who is even acting as my enemy? To be honest, it's a very rare quality. And I must admit, at times, it's very rare in me. But Jesus calls us to something higher. A love that only makes sense because Jesus is alive in me. We, we say we belong to Jesus, but this is how we live it. When I love mercy, I embrace God's actions. It's the second thing. Here's the last thing. When I love mercy, I experience God's wholeness. Let's finish the passage, Matthew 5, 48. Ready, go. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now that's a statement, isn't it? <laughs> be perfect. <laughs> As your heavenly Father is perfect. You have to ask the question, well, what do you mean by, by perfect? Because I, I know I'm not perfect. We, we all know we're not. The Greek word for that gives an idea of being complete, of, of being mature, of being fully developed. It's not that we will ever be so perfect that we no longer need forgiveness and grace. It's drawing a connection that for our lives to be complete, it will include loving our enemies. And this becomes, becomes the love that we now put on display to the world. And, and I think we would all admit that there have been times when the love that I put on display for the world was far less than complete, far less than whole. I remember a few years ago, Paul and I were at Goodwill and, and shopping, and I found this messenger bag. I've been looking for a messenger bag, you know, to carry my stuff in, books, and, and, and I found one. It was in perfect shape. It was almost brand new, and it was tweed, and it was like, oh, this is really nice. And it was like hipster, and I'm like, oh, man, this is, this is going to be great. This looks good. It looks cool. It's high quality. And, and, and so I bought it, and, and I had, but I had questions about it because it had this one pocket that I didn't understand its function because it was a pocket, but it had sort of a, 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 an opening in it across it, and then it had this other pocket that I thought maybe it was for lunch, but it was real long and slender, like maybe you could put a hot dog in there, but it was, it was insulated, you know, like you'd put a lunch in. And I, and I just thought, this is set up for something specific, but I don't understand what. But, but I bought it, and I thought it was great. And, and, and so I, I, I put it on, and I, I walked home because I, I was like proud of it. Like, this is great. This, this is a great piece of gear. And I'm just walking home like, yeah, check out my gear, and just walking it out. And, and walked clear home with that. I got home. And I decided I would look up the company that makes this because I wanted to know what those pockets were for. And so I looked up the name on the bag, BB Gear. That should have given it away. I found out what I was proudly displaying was not a hipster messenger bag. It was a diaper bag. <laughs> and the place with, the, with the, the opening was a place for wipes, you know, wet wipes. And the other place was a place for a baby bottle. That was where the insulated place was. And at the time, of course, my kids are grown. I have no grandkids at the time. And so the idea of me proudly carrying a diaper bag when you don't have a baby, that uh, is really not that cool. <laughs> It's not a great thing to put on display, you know, like, hey, everybody, I'm thinking of going walking today. I'm all set. I've got my diapers. I've got my wipes. I'm ready. We can make this happen. Uh, not that cool, what was on display. What I put on display fell short of the message that I wanted to give to the world. 
<laughs> the same can be said of our love and of the mercy and even of the lack of mercy that I display to the world. And so God invites those who follow him to offer a more perfect display of God's love to the world. What does that look like? Well, it looks like loving those that are hard to love, even loving our enemies. It looks like offering mercy. It looks like dropping our sword. And that moment of truly loving the unlovable is the moment that our love becomes more perfect. But here's the biggest part of that. We often think that, that offering that love will, will be the thing that perfects them, that person. But this whole process, it's really about perfecting us. It's really about changing our hearts. It's really about rewiring us. Because when I walk in this kind of love, I can't help but be changed by it. When I love mercy, I experience God's wholeness. I'll wrap up with this. There's a true story of a brigadier general named Daniel Cherry. He was a fighter pilot in the Vietnam era, Vietnam War. Nearly 40 years later, he recounted uh, this event where he shot down an enemy MiG fighter. And he, he actually watched the pilot deploy his chute after shooting him down. And he flew close enough that he could actually see like the details of his uniform, see that that, that man was all right as he was uh, parachuting down. Through a series of miraculous events, oh, after decades, those details, because he had seen his uniform and those details, it led to an amazing reunion where these two men who were previously locked in mortal combat, they would meet together, they would share stories of life and war, they would visit each other's countries, they would hold each other's grandchildren, they would become friends. And the general's explanation about what made that possible was this. He said, don't let the things that make you enemies be stronger than the things that make you friends. This, I think, is the miraculous change we need. To see each other in life, not as something alien, not as a monster, not as a lesser, but as a human being, a brother and a sister, allowing me to show you a greater love as a friend. This is what we must wrestle through, I think. From how I view that person who cuts me off in traffic to how I view the person who betrayed my deepest trust and everything that falls in between. This is where Jesus calls us to do something that we can't do without him. It's a miracle, yet it's in loving enemies like this that lives are changed, starting with our own. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. That's what the love of Jesus is calling us to. This 
is what mercy looks like. So where do we start? Well, it's in this understanding that even when I was God's enemy, God still loved me. God showed me mercy. If it was up to me, I would have never met God. I would have never experienced God's grace and life. But God reached out first. God loved his enemy, and that enemy was me. And this was most vividly displayed on the cross where, where Jesus died for the very people who placed him there. And as they mocked him and beat him and spit on him, he gave his life in love for them. That's who Jesus is. And so to follow him will mean following Jesus to our enemies in hopes that they could be made friends. It will mean treasuring mercy as God treasures mercy. Amidst all the complexities of this subject, I would encourage you in this. Could we genuinely seek Jesus for how to practically love and show mercy to those we see as our enemies? Yes, in do it, we would do so in wisdom. We need to do so with good boundaries and in health, but also in courage and strength. Would we trust Jesus to let us do something so difficult that it only becomes possible with him? Today is the day that we can begin that journey, a journey where each of us learns what it is to treasure mercy. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com, or on all social media platforms at Cove Church PNW. We'll see you next time.